1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes to Presidents Club. I'm your host, Nick Sigelski, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Armand Farouk. And today we have Andrew Johnston, who is the head of sales at Superhuman. And this episode, this product, Superhuman, is the reason that Armand has started responding to my emails. Armand, why should people listen?
0: Well, if... Any tool can get me to respond to Nick. You know it's good. But in seriousness, guys, this is probably the single best episode we've ever had on product-led growth, prospecting, sales process overall. Andrew goes through what to do when you see people using your product on an account, how you should reach out to those folks, how you should decide between land versus expand, and then how, once you land, how you can ultimately creep across the organization and get a wall-to-wall deal.
1: And a three, a two, a one, creep into this episode. Horse steal them. all right, Andrew, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three.
2: The first one is uh, overcomplicating initial discovery and how not to do that. So diving in a little bit, you know, most reps have uh, used Medic or Bant or some sort of qualification process. I think the issue with this is they often don't focus on what really matters. They go too deep into the methodology and too little into what actually matters in the deal, at least early on. So they're not asking, who are you talking with? understanding what the business does, and they're not you know, seeking out why did they come to your company in the first place. I think a really good example of this is I was at a QBR in Twilio once, and a rep had done all these qualifications, had mapped out the org structure, but they really couldn't answer the question of how does this business that they're selling into make money? And why would the product or why would Twilio at that point matter to the company and why would they buy the product? And so understanding that is really going to help you excel and also help you map to what the um, right motivation behind the conversation might be. Love it. What's number two? Number two is something I would to call a 2468 pipeline, and it's about why you should build it and why you should have it. Essentially, what a 2468 pipeline means is that you're matching your deal sizes or a number of deals to make sure you have, uh, always have the right pipeline coverage. So take, for example, $250,000 quota on a quarterly basis. You'd have two deals that are 125K, four deals that are 62 and a half, and so on and so forth. Each of those numbers adds up in its own right to 250. So essentially, you have three to four apps pipeline coverage. The way that it works though, is that in practice, as a rep, you could close two deals at 125 to make your quota. You could close all four to make your quota, or you can close a combination of those deal cycles. But the great thing is that if, let's say your two banger deals fall out, you still have a four, six, and eight to close. And as you close these deals, you replace it with another deal. So Quarter over quarter, month over month, you always have something to close or that you're working on at different types of velocity to enable you to feel really confident and to de-risk your uh, overall pipeline and overall um, quote attainment. Beautiful. Round us out, Andrew. What's
1: number three?
2: Last one, again, near and dear to my heart because I come from superhuman, and that is to follow up faster. So I think one thing that a lot of reps aren't doing well enough is that, sure, as as they are doing their follow-ups post-call, that matters. But you know, they're not leaning in as the customer is leaning in. And so our productivity tools don't help us do that today. And so one thing that I really want to highlight is how can you be not your own worst enemy? And so as a customer is leaning into responding and working with you, you're following in suit, responding very quickly. It can make you stand out, especially if you're in a competitive situation where maybe the customer is leaning in, they're evaluating two or three different solutions, you being one of them. If someone else is responding faster, being more proactive, being more attentive, they're going to get more attention from that end customer. Don't let your competition beat you out in that way. And so follow up faster, follow up on time, and lean in
0: and follow a suit the like way your customer is operating. So Andrew, it's been a minute since we've had someone who comes from like a true purebred PLG company and Superhuman is absolutely that. So if you guys don't know what Superhuman does, fastest email client in the world, I love it. Let's say you pick up an account and you see there are three or four people on the account who actively use Superhuman. What do you do? Our typical motion is we're monitoring those signals.
2: So we use a tool internally called Pocus and Pocus gives us insight into what those companies metrics are. So for example, Armand, if you're using, I can see how many emails you've sent, how many sessions you have. And we have different criteria for what we call engaged active users and then what we call super users. And so we identify first, what level are they in? And then we might have a prescriptive approach to work with them. So let's say they're more mediocre, but the domain is really good. So lack of better choice, it's apple.com. And there's three users inside Apple. I might then go look at and say, how can we coach them? How can we earn the right to have a sales conversation? So we might bring resources or our CES and Delight team to help coach them up on how to get to that super engaged level, which then will give them a great experience. And hopefully that opens the door for a sales conversation. If let's say they're already super engaged, like let's say it's two or three sales users inside, again, great domain. We might use their activity and their success on Superhuman and probably their fanboyness or fangirlness of superhuman to play into, okay, you've been super successful. What would it look like if we got your team on, on the product? And can you imagine a world where not just you are living this life, but the rest of your team is? And how much better are they going to interact with externally with customers or internally with other stakeholders?
1: You said that the type of company that it is dictates the way that you're reaching out. And I'm wondering if you can tell me a little more about that.
2: Yeah, so we're trying to always fit into our ICP right? and look at not only what the buyer persona is, so are they someone who likely receives a lot of email, but also are they a company where they might benefit from superhuman? We look for companies that, like a B2B SaaS company, like my former employer Twilio, where they're working externally with a lot of customers, they have a high volume of email, and then following up faster going to my last point could enable them to be a better resource and use less tooling. So we look, really look at the domain. Like, is that domain the right type of company that we want to work with? Professional services is another one that works really well. High volume of email, high need to respond to customers, and then high importance, obviously. They're they're working with these clients that um,
0: typically have a, a lot of money that they're paying these, these companies. This is super interesting. So let's say that you have two apple.coms, right? Someone made the carbon copy of Apple somehow. And one organization has people in engineering, sales, support, all over the place, right? And then another has a bunch of people clustered in one department. Do you prefer to have it all clustered in one segment, or do you prefer to have it peanut buttered across the org? It depends on where we're at, but I would likely go after the one where it's all in
2: one department, and I'll tell you why, especially if it's in a department where it's customer-facing, we know the impact. We'll look at that, we call it a pre post. We can look at their, their impact using Superhuman with real metrics around How many emails are they sending from when they first onboarded to now? How much more responsive are they? But most importantly, you're probably saving time. We actually also capture that time savings. And so I could say your sales department, for example, is disaffective. And that could mean you're closing more deals. You're responding to customers faster. A number of different ways. When it's peanut butter spread across, it's a good way to consolidate the account. So one of our first motions that we do is we say, hey, Nick, you're in IT. Armand, you're in customer success, and maybe there's four or five other people who are using the product. And what I might say is, all right, let's get you all on the same bill. like So we at least can get you on a team. And then we'll figure out which of those people has the best metrics and which of those people leans into superhuman the most. and might be our expansion point to get superhuman on their team, or at least run an experiment or a trial.
1: That's so smart. You kept Armand out of IT because you knew he was going to cause some sort of security breach at my company and screw something up. So I love that you're thinking about that way. But actually, what I think is really smart is you've got two users who are paying for your product, but in separate departments. And one of the reasons to engage them is like, yo, you both work at the same company. Shouldn't we at least consolidate your billing? And that's an awesome way to engage them.
0: So Andrew, I'm curious. I I personally use superhuman even before you guys sponsored us. And I can't imagine there's a deal where you can all of a sudden take 29,000 people who were using Gmail and all of a sudden everyone is using superhuman all at once. I can already see Nick being triggered because he was on outlook until a year ago. All right. And so let's assume that you're starting at the top. You're starting with like a founder esque, or maybe like a VP of sales, someone high who has control over one or a couple departments. How do you chomp this thing up? Do you try to win like a small lot and then get a bigger lot? Do you do a pilot and then a bigger pilot? How do you like cut up into digestible pieces?
2: I'm steal this phrase from Oliver J. Calls it seed, land, and expand. He was the former CRO of Inasana. He taught me. And so this idea of like, you seed the deal, right? You get a couple people on it. You get them consolidated on the same billing. Could be in that department. And then you land it. So you land a larger section. So it might be a single team, a single sales team, but not the whole org. And then you expand it from there. So then it might be the entire sales organization. And then you're looking at expanding across departments. I have found that creates the best opportunity to show the metrics and show the ROI and create these impact moments over time versus I'm going to go sell you a 30,000 seat deal. Someone signs off on it and then you hit halfway through the contract and there's an adoption problem. And certainly we face that ourselves too, right? But I think as you can land and get really high adoption or really high activation, It lends itself to that expansion conversation that much more when you go ask somebody else, you say, hey, your team's crushing it on Superhuman. Can I have an intro to your VP of customer success? Let's see what we can do for their team.
1: How do you coach your reps to think about that between not biting off more than they can chew, but also not being too passive and saying, well, let's just start with three people when it's selling to Apple?
2: It's a good question. We do have a minimum threshold, so like we won't sign a team contract below 10 seats. So that enables like us to have a, a certain cutoff level, which is helpful. I also think about it, you know, in different motions or different segments. So enterprise, I want the logo, like get what you can land on the organization because that matters, and get someone who's really effective. Versus a faster velocity mid market SMB deal, land as many seats as you can, but don't push it. Right, get the land. When I think about that two four six eight, uh, the reps today, it's a superhuman have a hybrid motion. So we don't have the de- delineation between AMs and AEs just yet, which actually lends itself well because you can say your expansion deals often end up being your two and four deals because it's the deals you prior closed you're trying to really expand. And your eight deals might be your fast moving, I'm gonna get a bunch of lands in that might expand one to two quarters out from now. And so it's kind of this constant iteration. So it works really well in the hybrid model.
0: So I was advising a founder the other day who also has a PLG motion And I think superhuman is one of those things that really lends itself to like you trying it first. But with him, one of the things that we were struggling with is I would say half of the deals, you can push a prospect over the line without a pilot, right? Without actually getting to try it. Everyone will ask though. And then the other half, it's like, If you don't give them that pilot, it's just it doesn't feel real to them. They can't get their head around the adoption, and then you end up losing the deal, or you have to walk it back and come back to the pilot, and that just puts a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And so for you, let's say you get in front of someone. Are there situations where, A, you're like, this deal can go all the way through without a pilot, or B, you're like, the pilot is needed to slow this thing down? How do you decide between those two paths?
2: I would say the deal where we're trying to go after like a 30,000 seat size surprise, you know, that might take several years. That's where a pilot's necessary, especially up front to land that first contract. Because I found it enables us to, as you might know, we onboard people individually or in small groups. And so we create this really great one-to-one onboarding experience. What I don't want to happen is for people not to miss that. Because we've found that if they don't activate on Superhuman or do certain sets of actions within the first five days of using it. It doesn't resonate and they're not going to continue using superhuman. And so I would rather control that upfront so that when we come time, like we might successively increase the pilot size so that once we come time to land a large deal, the activation and adoption of the product is, is high, that it lends itself for whatever committee or whoever we're talking to to say, yes, I'm going to make the investment org-wide or, or a good subset of org-wide into superhuman. Are there things
1: that you're doing before you start a pilot or a POC, like setting success criteria or setting up a shared Slack channel, et cetera? Are there things that you're doing with intention to make sure that the POC is going to go well and it actually turns into closed business or at least gives you the best chance of being able to do that?
2: Shared Slack channels one. We try to do that as much as we can, although, you know, it's always something that you have to make sure it doesn't get too unwieldy, especially as you get more and more folks internally and externally into it giving product feedback, turning into a support channel. So we do do that. Success criteria for sure. A big one is like, what is the success metric that would give us the green light to go? Is that time and usage of product? Is that adoption of number of seats that we allocate? Is that activation of those seats? So we figure out what thing they care about the most. And then we try to coach them on what are the benchmarks that we see across other SaaS tools? And then also what are the benchmarks we see typically across superhuman users? So they can know like, okay, If I have Slack, I should expect this or some other tool. If I have Superhuman, I might expect this. And this is what other people are using who are coming from maybe a Gmail background or an Outlook background.
1: So just to clarify what you're doing when you set the success criteria is you're trying to figure out what matters to the customer. What lane are we playing in for success? And then you're saying, based upon that metric, here's what other companies have in terms of what their adoption is, for example. And so what I might do for 30 Minutes to President's Club, if the customer says, oh, we're focused on webinar leads, I might say, great, okay, here's where we land. Here's where competitor A, B, and C lands, just so you have a benchmark sense in terms of what you might expect. I guess it doesn't even need to be competitors. It might be other programs where they're getting leads of that nature. Yeah?
2: That's right. And one company might care about if we're selling to a sales team Their productivity by rep, very common theme in today's market, you know, what's happening with cost cutting. And productivity by rep for them might be, is superhuman allowing each rep to respond to more emails or more customers, right? That's what it nets out to. Another company might say, hey, I'm buying superhuman because everyone's stressed out and I want to see if they're getting the inbox zero. Is it making their lives happier? Very different metrics. We can measure both, but one is going to be very ROI focused. One is focused on like, are they hitting inbox zero? Are they using superhuman a lot? Do they feel better? Like, do we run a survey or a satisfaction thing? And we, we give that back to them. So we
0: can then orient around what the customer wants a lot better, knowing that success criteria going into it. The reason this is so important is the other day someone was like, yeah, you know, I just want to get them in the pilot so that the product, like the product's going to do the work, the product's got to sell them. And I'm like, the product cannot solve for the fact that oftentimes a prospect doesn't even know what they want to buy right? Or they won't know without success criteria how they're going to justify this thing to their CFO. And so the worst case thing you can do by having good success criteria is you can make yourself realize that a pilot should never make sense in the first place because their expectations are massively unreasonable or they haven't even thought for two seconds around what it would take for them to buy, right? So it allows you to slow down so you don't waste your own time. I think there's a really important factor of A lot of people think, do I make a pilot or a POC free?
2: And I think it should always be paid. We used to do this thing at Scale AI, we called it a quick hit. So how can you get a quick validation point that would be free? But we're talking like a day or two. But if it was a pilot, anything longer than a week, you're paying for it. And the reason we we did that, which is pretty obvious, is just that it creates an ownership on both sides of the coin of now I'm paying that and often I'm paying for it at list price. We charge our customers list price for pilots typically so that they feel like they can come to the table and that there's a risk on both sides, right? I'm now paying for, maybe it's a hundred seats, maybe it's a large potential opportunity. I'm paying a good chunk of change to try superhuman. I should be invested in what that success looks like and working with the superhuman team, just as our sales team and our product team should be delivering on what we have agreed upon in that success metric.
1: How do you voice that over to the customer? Because I bet they show up and they're like, I want to do a pilot of this thing. And they're expecting it to be free. And I have to imagine you have to explain it in a sort of delicate way, like, no, you need to write a check for this?
2: I would say we try everything to scope it down. Like, certainly that comes up and certainly we're not totally against it within the right understanding and scope. But I would say maybe they're saying, I want to try it for 100 users or 50 users. And we try to push a paid pilot. I'll say, let's try it for 10, right? Let's try it for five. Let's get a, a quicker validation. Maybe we'll give that piece for free because it doesn't matter as much. And we'll show you what the promised land looks like versus you paying for an upfront if that's the thing. Like, let's just take that away. Clearly, the cost and the number of seats is the problem here. Let's move into a different bucket.
1: One more question. So VP of sales comes in. They're like, let's do a pilot for my whole sales organization. You respond and say, no, let's do it for 10 people. Let's show what the promised land looks like. How do you decide who those 10 people in the 100-person sales org should be that are piloting it?
2: It's a good question. It's one that I think we're constantly iterating on. I would say user can pick two metrics. One is you pick the most, the highest volume email users and see like how more effective they come. One thing that we also can look at is who are the slowest responders? So like who is responding slowest to prospects inside Gmail, for example? And then can we have a bigger improvement with them using superhuman? I like that metric of finding those users, like people who are haters and say, you know what, Nick, I'm terrible at email. I know that I don't get back to customers in two or three days. Give me superhuman or let's see if it makes me better. I actually think that tells the case better than someone who's like, I already try to operate towards inbox zero certainly the gains might be better, but you're not going to see this massive jump, which is, we want to tell that story, right? We want to say it makes everyone superhuman. Everyone should be using superhuman as a product. And if you're not, you're missing out on the equation of being like a best in class sales rep, for example. How how long are you running a pilot for? They vary. So usually I would say it's about a month, but we've had some that run six months.
0: Gotcha. So let's say you have a pilot that runs a month and then you still got like legal security, all these other things that financial approval, all these things. Are you parallel processing some of the vendor view review process? Are you trying to get that stuff done beforehand so you're not like done with the pilot and then you have to do three months of vendor diligence and whatnot? How do you manage all of the other stuff in addition to the pilot that is required to get a signature on paper?
2: I always coach reps. I think my favorite D is decision process in medic because I think there's so much that can go wrong. And we've all been there, sales rep, sales manager, CRO, where the best deal of the quarter has fallen through three days before. And now it's pushing to the following quarter. And I think that a lot of times comes down to, not always, but comes down to, did you get ahead of the decision process and the decision criteria? And do you know all the different steps? And so I think it's really important We try to do it as in parallel as possible, especially in a longer pilot where there's going to be a much larger engagement. We want to get ahead of what are the compliance risks? Are we running through... Any product gaps that we need to have before GA launch? Are you working with our lawyer? Are we going to the contracts that's pre-negotiated? I want to get to the end of the pilot. And my goal is to say, or the company to say, green light, let's go on, on Superhuman or whatever product you're selling. And that at that point, it only takes two or three days to get the deal closed. Like you've mapped everything. They say red light or yellow light. Okay. That usually should then be associated to the actual pilot. What did we not solve for? Or what did we miss the mark on? It shouldn't be because of like a paper process issue that you ran into because you just were lazy and didn't do it. I think that's what it comes down to.
0: So good. Last thing before we jump, magic moments. Nick and I were actually just talking about this in the context of 30 Minutes to President's Club sponsorships, where we want people when they get live to have everything from their content to go live, to have their guest on the show, to do the webinar with them. And we want to plan those things early, so that they feel the benefits right after they sign the contract. And so oftentimes there's this rush when we sign a customer to get them live. For you, can you talk about what are those magic moments that you're planning and how are you orchestrating this over the month of a pilot? The biggest one for a pilot that we do is we have this delight team. Delight
2: is actually a core value, like create delight at superhuman is a core value. And one thing that we found that I think superhuman was one of the early pioneers in is the onboarding experience, which we will do one to one. We have now done more like one to many groups because of superhuman scaled. It's harder to do that, but we create a very like VIP personal experience and we open that up. These people are very well trained and they take you through and they say, let me like be your email coach. And you're like, I didn't know I needed an email coach. And it creates this really amazing thing of people who are sitting there with. 10,000 emails, they've got the little icon on their phone or on their computer. It's like 10,000 unread, and they go to zero and they get to zero in 30 minutes with this email coach. It is a very elated experience. So that's one thing. It's like get them to see the power of the product up front, you know, within the first five days of onboarding. There are certainly also things in the product that help with that, but focusing on the sales motions here. The second one is we try to do ch- weekly check ins, and those weekly check ins are could be something a coaching session about a new feature, like maybe. It's with the sales team. We're making sure they really understand how the product works. We try to understand like gaps. So we can monitor usage. Like we see that you're triaging emails, but you're not sending emails. Like we, we try to take a metrics driven approach to really tailor that experience towards the customer so that they feel like we see them and also we're hearing them whenever we talk to them. So that's really important. The one thing that I'll add is, and this is kind of post pilot, but I don't think, I think about this for expansion. One thing that we're starting to do with customers now as we move back to an in-person world is we talked about earlier, you land a small team and you want to go for expansion. We just landed a, a small team inside a very great, great organization. Unfortunately, I can't say the name, but we're actually offered to go on site. We're bringing them lunch and we're going to do a superhuman training session for the people who have it. We're also going to bring swag for just the people who attend that session. And it's going to be custom swag for that. And so like people are going to see superhuman all over. We're inviting people to come in. And so we're almost creating the viral loop as an in, in-person environment in addition to what the product has so you know it's just sent from superhuman on the bottom of the email and so we do those certain things like that but we're trying to create this delightful experience both in-person virtual and then every time we interact with the customer
1: i just have one more question and you talked about the email coach thing and i know there's a lot of salespeople listening to this episode being like i have zero control over my inbox and I'm sure you've seen a lot of best and worst practices as it relates to how salespeople manage their email. And I'm wondering
2: if you could share some of those. I'm going to go with the superhuman methodology because that's what I believe in. That's what I, I now feel strongly about. Essentially, give every email a job, right? A lot of people use the methodology of, I'm going to unread an email. I'm going to start. I'm going to fall back to it later. What happens is you just clutter your inbox and you're like, what in the hell do I have to do now? Like you get to the end of your day, like I had 15 calls or whatever, how many calls Who do I follow up with first? What do I respond to? Whenever you have 15 minutes, you should be triaging. Or whenever you have time, and what I mean by that is it's either marking done, you're reminding it for later, or you're responding to it now. And the way that we view it at Superhuman is like, if you can respond to that email in less than five minutes, get it out of the way. If it's gonna take later, it's just something for your knowledge, mark it done. And then if you need to spend more time with it, remind it at a time, set aside a block, an hour at the end of your day, for those emails that may take more crafting. And what that will enable you to do is you clear your inbox and then everything resurfaces. Again, this is a superhuman feature later during that hour. And then you can prioritize at that point in time and go through them. But it creates like this wellness of I'm not missing anything. And everything that I need to respond to is either scheduled, done, or I don't care about it and it's out of my way and it's not cluttering my brain.
1: Boom. I love it. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Got to move to the final question because we're running out of time. And the final question is this. We've talked about great things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps?
2: It might be an obvious one. Reiterating is over-talking on anything. And I think one thing that I've learned from other leaders, from other really great reps, is their ability to listen and speak last on a call. And then also not be afraid to ask a tough question based on what they've heard. And it's only that you, when you listen intently and are the last to speak, can you really drive a question home that has enough insight and enough power that the customer's like, wow, I've never thought about that. If you want to dive into it, there's a great podcast with Peter Reinhardt who, who built Segment, which was acquired by Twilio. And he talks about the first time he was in a room and he brought in his first enterprise rep. And they had to push to get a larger deal size. And he was afraid to do it. And his enterprise rep was deeply concerned to ask all these seemingly dumb questions, but really understood the customer. So listen, ask questions intently. I think a lot of people are just getting so gun heavy of like trying to jump on what they want to get to. They're they're too many agendas set. They're not leaning back enough.
1: Love it. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.
0: And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect
1: Your top four actionable takeaways from this episode with Andrew Johnston. Number one, do not enter a pilot or a POC without setting clear success criteria with your customer. If you don't have exit criteria for what's going to make them sign the big contract at the end of the POC, you're in trouble because you might do a whole POC and then realize that they have not given any thought to how they're actually going to turn this one into a deal. Number two, as it relates to that success criteria, the way that you should think about presenting it is, one, figure out what matters to your customer. What vertical are they looking at in terms of what metric matters? And then don't just ask them, well, what do you think is good? Instead, you should present benchmarks based upon comparable tools. So what Andrew will do is he'll say, hey, This is what Slack sees in terms of usage. Here's what you should expect from Superhuman. And you use that as the barometer, not a number that your customer just pulls out of their back pocket.
0: Number three, if we go all the way back to prospecting, break your accounts, your prospects, the people who are using your product into high usage and low usage. For the lower usage group, your goal is to coach them up. See if you can help get them using the product more, introduce them to your success team, et cetera. For the high usage group, you just reach out and you say, hey, how can we get this in the hands of other people? And the sale will start to roll. And then lastly, number four, if you find four people in the organization, but they're all in different departments, the easiest way to reach out to them is to consolidate their bill for them. But if you find four people in the same department, you can consolidate the team. righty, Nick, how can people help us out here?
1: Well, Armand, I heard that you were feeling generous, and I was looking at the show notes for this episode, and I saw that you were so kind as to be giving away a free month of Superhuman for anybody who wants to try it. So folks, I am serious. Armand did respond to me in a decently timely fashion before via email, but now Armand I've been monitoring you, monitoring you. I've been watching you, watching you. I've seen your stress levels around email go down pretty dramatically and you are actually responding in a far more intelligent and timely way. Not that you weren't that bad in the past. And so I think superhuman plays a big part in that. So folks, I really recommend you check it out. There's a link in the show notes. Get your first month for free and we'll see you next week on the show. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.